What up all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 140 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Josh White. Josh is a professional caver living in Phong Nha, Vietnam, who as we go through the conversation brings up the topic of depression. He talks about him dealing with depression throughout his life and how caving was something that he really finds salvation in. It's a place that he can become at peace within himself focus and in the moment and that little black dog as he brings up throughout the episode goes away now the little black dog is actually a book that was introduced to him in his early 20s and it's called living with a black dog his name is depression and he attributes a lot of his ability to being able to deal with his depressive states that come and go through this book and the tools that this book gave him to identify that black dog when it creeps up in his life and how to avoid the certain triggers that trigger his depressive moments in life and some awesome techniques to work through those depressive moods and moments and come out on the other side a much happier person. It's a really cool episode and Josh really comes with a very open, honest approach to his life and how he now finds himself in a really cool place in Vietnam, getting to do something he loves after spending years in situations that weren't very fulfilling for him back in the UK. If you're a first-time listener, please pull out your phone, hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this on, say, Spotify, iTunes, whatever it may be, and you like this episode, you know, giving it a five-star rating really means a lot to me. And if you are so inclined to write a review, that would be awesome as well. That really helps me in the rating. You know, Misfits and Rejects just reached a milestone within the last few months. You know, Misfits and Rejects now has been running for the last three and a half years. And I just passed the 10,000 unique listeners a month marker that a lot of podcasters kind of measure their success by. So I'm really proud of that. It feels great to be at that point. I'm really happy and thankful for all your support and all of you coming back week after week and listening to these really inspirational stories that I find so interesting and unique around the world. And I'm glad you do too, because there's a lot more to come. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Josh White. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners... A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Josh White, a gentleman I met in Feng Ya a few months back who unfortunately I didn't get to interview when I was there, but thank God he reached out and we have him on the podcast today. He's a caver from, from Feng Ya. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you today, my friend? I'm all good. Thank you for having me. Been uh, looking forward to uh, having a chance to, I guess, share my story and and for you to get a chance to dig into my closet. Yeah, dude. We uh, we shared a few beers, quite a few nights in Fung. I really I like chatting with you. Um, great personality, good overall dude. And I was uh, you're just kind of that classic sort of individual that winds up in these backwater little towns that uh, we both seem to love so very much. And the only difference between I think you and I is that. You like crawling in dark, deep holes, and I'm pretty claustrophobic, dude. So, <laughs> it's it's luckily it's not all that bad out in Vietnam in terms of the small dark holes, but I uh, I do end up missing the caving back in the UK. So, what do you mean? What what's different about the UK to to Vietnam? 
So, I mean, the the caves here are, I know you've spoken to a few other people and they've mentioned about the caves on the podcast, but the, the caves here are, are monumentally large. They are enormous. There is, there isn't really anywhere else in the world that can kind of uh, consistently um, have caves this big. And, and in the UK, it's, you don't get really anything anywhere near this size, even remotely. It's, it's the, the the stuff that first attracted me to caving was the small, dank, dark stuff. The the, the stuff that you you would hate. Um, and yeah, I, I I love that kind of stuff. The sport of it is is really what what drew me into caving in the first place. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as you know, like you work with Adam Spillane, who's on the podcast a few episodes back, and he was touching upon a little bit about what makes caves, you know, the geology of it all, the geography. Um, can you maybe go a little bit more detail for the audience to kind of help us understand like why Vietnam is so unique in the, the vast size of every single cave out there? Is it like the underground rivers that have been running for millions of years that are now dried up or what, what's the deal? So, so uh, to some extent drying up, I mean, you, you get enormous amounts of, of rainfall out here and, and, that helps contribute to to the vast size of these caves and and you get um quite slow development of the cave now i know you're going to pick me up on that it's you, you get um if you get drastic changes in water level you end up with weird kind of multiple leveled passage if that makes sense so this is a very much an oversimplification before someone picks me up on it um but you you get this very slow erosion you have these Particularly in the case of, of Sundong, the cave I do, you have a very clear fault line that runs the full length of the cave and the slow development with the big beds of limestone, the huge amount of rain, it's, it's kind of the perfect storm for, for getting these large caves um, that, that are just consistent out here. I think it's three of the four largest caves in the world, supposedly, um, are, are in the National Park in Phong Nha. That's so interesting because, I mean, for, the, for it only having really kind of been discovered, I mean, I guess people have been caving there since the 90s, is that correct? But like the biggest caves weren't discovered until like the late 2000s, is that what I understand? Yeah, so so in, ter- in terms of properly explored, so, so some of these caves have been known about for, for many years, but um, there, there's a thing in caving that until a survey is drawn up and it's been properly explored, it's effectively not been, and it's a weird word to use, it's the discovered word to that. Particularly in the, in the case of Hang En, for instance, which is, I think, number three in the world, um, supposedly. I'm going to keep saying supposedly. That's fine. Um, before, um, <laughs> it's, it, it's at the end of a very obvious um, river um, in the National Park. And it's, we know that historically that people have gone there um, to, to climb up to the roof to, uh, to eat uh, effectively a, a delicacy of, of baby swift, baby swift birds. Um, and we, we know that people have known about it for many years, but the actual kind of exploration and the mapping of it didn't happen until until the 90s. Um, Sundong is a, is a different case, although it was initially um, found or, or known about by, by a guy called Ho Kang in, in 1990 um, to, to refine it um, or, or to, to recognize that it was something we would be interested in and to refine it took quite a few years and it was uh yeah 2007 2008 i think he rediscovered it it was properly explored for a couple of years after that um during the expeditions um so yeah it was i guess almost 20 years later between ho kang first knowing about it and and it actually being fully 
in inverted commas discovered yeah it's a really interesting sub subculture interesting subculture of people these, these cavers that you belong to um it's relatable for me just with surf culture you know it seems like a I mean, it's not an individualistic sport per se because it's unsafe to go into these big caves by yourself, but it kind of is the same way. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of uh, individuality that each caver has, kind of wanting to be the first one into a cave, explore and like discover and name and all these things. You know, just with Vietnam kind of being now, it sounds like almost like the mecca for cavers and the Vietnam War ending many years ago, like why do you think it took so long for the caves to be kind of like open to the, the caving world is like, boom, look what we found. I mean, it, it, it's, it's something caves, uh, it's not something that necessarily interests the locals around here. It's, they, they knew that there was big, big beds of limestone here. And, and it's just a matter of there, there is huge amounts of limestone cover or, or limestone beds of rock around the world and it's it's a matter of someone kind of taking it upon themselves and saying right central vietnam that's where i'm going to go and have an expedition next year and and then getting around to getting the various levels of permits and permissions and from from all the different levels of government and and being a being a communist country and and the communist government in place it's um you end up having quite a few different levels of, of government you need to get through in order to get the permit. And, and from what I understand here, it, it's generally easier now to get those permits sorted. Now they've been doing the, the uh, expeditions for nearly 30 years now. The, the expeditions become much uh, smoother running. You know, we, we went to, to Laos for the first time at the beginning of this year on expedition and it... Um, yeah, there was there was a few speed bumps along the way, but it's it's kind of something you have to accept is going to happen, and you have to have these meetings with people and make sure that things are being done in the right way, and and the people, the the, the locals and and the local government are happy with you, so that they allow you to return and and finish exploring the 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 hopefully endless caves that you find. Yeah, now I understand. That makes total sense. It's not like you can just rock up as a... I mean, I guess you could, but you might piss off some people and, and ruin it for the rest of the, the community. Yeah, yeah. so, so it's, it's, it really is about um, keeping the relations good because you never know, even if you don't return the next year, you might want to return a few years down the line and, and people will remember things and it will become known as, oh, the, the Brits came over, they, they tried to explore caves and they just, frankly, fucked it up. Um, so you, you need to keep these relations good um, and happy and, and do things in the right way because you don't want to get a kind of bad reputation for, for your expedition team. Interesting. Yeah, you mentioned, I mean, this kind of love of caves started in the UK. Can you kind of take us back to your youth and give us some insight into how you grew up, where you grew up, and how you started crawling into holes in the ground? <laughs> so it's it, it, it's I mean it's it is still a weird hobby to have. I, I totally understand that, and, and it's um, comparing it to surfing. Yeah, I, mean, I think you've got a similar kind of subculture, but it's undoubtedly surfing is a more stereotypically cooler hobby to have. Um, I, I think misfits and rejects is no surprise. You're having a few cavers on here because it's that's generally what ends up kind of attracting you. You're always kind of slightly outside as you don't have the standard kind of hobbies. Um, so I, I started, I was born in a place called Portsmouth. Um, so 
south coast. It's about an hour south of London, pretty much straight down in a straight line from, from London. Um, at quite a young age, we moved and, and the rest of my family wanted to move. I was not so keen on the move. I was actually quite happy where we were, but everyone else was not happy. Uh, so me, my parents and my sister, we moved. Um, for, for many years, I, I looked back and said, I, I, I wished we'd never moved. I wish we'd never moved. And, and, and I kind of, I, to some extent, I felt like a bit of an outsider almost immediately on moving. And I'd kind of been torn away from from a place that I look back with with very fond memories, but but it was probably very much uh, rose-tinted spectacles on that. Um, see, I was, I, I was super happy, and it was about, I think it was eight, eight or nine, where we moved um, to a place called Horsham. It's only about an hour north, but it's obviously, at that age, it, it's totally new friendship groups. And, and, and look, at, at that age, I was... Uh, I was a very emotional child. It wouldn't take me much to set me off crying, even until I was kind of 13, 14. I was just a, a big girl's blouse, really. Um, and, and that obviously wasn't helping with me already being an outsider. Uh, so, yeah, there, there was obviously an, an element of, of kind of the bullying and, and, and not being everyone's favourite person. Um, and, and I must have been... So I, I moved schools a couple of times when I first, so I went to one school for a year and a half and then for my final year of primary school, so when I was 10, um, moved to another school that my parents really wanted me to get to. It was a Church of England school. It was, it was frankly a better school. Um, I wasn't particularly challenged at the school I only went to for a year and a half. I was, uh, I was quite intelligent as a kid up until I moved and then... I stopped working, uh, the work ethic just dropped away and, and the, the stupidity set in. Um, so I yeah, went to this other school um, and, and totally by chance my, my mum met one of the uh, other parents outside the school gate and he was, a, he was a scout leader. So I'd done beavers and cubs, which is basically younger, younger scouts in the UK. Then until we moved, never really found a group to to fit back into when we moved, um, and that was that was really kind of the, the the really defining moment at that point, I guess, of how I've ended up here because I got involved in caving through scouts. Um, so the, the the boy scouts or whatever you want to call them um, is is really uh, I mean it's, it's a fantastic charity, and and I still do work for them. I still volunteer for them in the UK. I'm still a scout leader, and it's uh, it's it's a fantastic charity that does what they do and, and the volunteers are much needed. Um, sweet. So I was, uh, yeah, so I, I jumped in back into scouting through a guy called uh, Dave Lampard, um, who was the scout leader, and, and he basically encouraged my mum to, to send me along to this scout group. And um, it really was a, t- a turning moment for me, I think, where I, I had a group that I kind of, belong to um outside of the the school um society or social aspect um where i didn't really fit in but but i was in in scouts and i had a group of friends there and it was it was going well um so yeah i I kind of had that and then and every year there would be um a a caving trip effectively and, and i actually 
I first went when I was about 10. first went caveman when I was about 10, and I hated it. Um, or maybe 11, 10 or 11. What did you and, and I, uh Well, I, I was small. I was weak. As I said, I was, I was a big girl's blouse. I, I couldn't handle the physicality. I didn't like the small darkness. I, I, I just could, physically couldn't do it. Um, and, and so I just totally wimped out. Um, and I didn't go back for another four or five years until I was back until I was still in scouts, but as a, uh, but as a young leader, so there's a, a young leader scheme. So once you've left scouts, you can go back and, and effectively straight away, start helping out again, um, and, and, and giving back effectively. And, and this is really enjoyable. And I went back as a young leader and, and a guy called, uh, Paul Dold, who was part of the caving team, spotted me and, and realized I was quite happy to do the really grotty jobs of, of standing and, and basically being a foothold for people or, or helping him out with his photography by standing in, in waters or being flat out in, in crawly bits and posing or whatever. Um, and he, he really was the guy that, that kind of dragged me into caving and, and really inspired me to keep going with it. And uh, that kind of continued for for quite a few years, where where he would he would call me up on a Friday afternoon at three or four o'clock and uh, say, "With this weekend, we're going caving," and I'd be calling up work or I'd be calling up football and 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 feigning injury or feigning sickness so I could uh, go away on a caving weekend with him. That's rad, dude. So this guy Paul sounds like he really came into your life at the perfect time and and helped helped you blossom. He, he was an absolute champion. He was really, really nice. He actually passed away a few years ago, and it was, uh, oh, it, 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 it kind of opened up to it, I guess, another door to my life. But I guess we'll get onto that in a bit. But um, yeah, it was, he was a fantastic guy. Really, really, uh, kind of the, the the heartbeat of of that caving team. Um, quite a few of the youngsters around my age and, and slightly older. I, I'm almost certain that they would attribute the reason they loved caving in the first place was was Paul and and he really kind of had that I guess infectious enthusiasm that that really kind of dragged you into it and and you couldn't help but enjoy even when the trips were were grotty and grim and and you were getting stuck or you were you were just horrendously filthy and exhausted he he would always be able to make you laugh or he would always make it seem like it was a fun thing to be doing. Um, so he was, yeah, he's a fantastic guy. That's rad. What do you think it was about uh, the Boy Scouts? Because it sounds like you're, you know, a footballer, um, an athlete, and you did other activities. But what, what about the community that the Boy Scouts created for you made you feel like you finally fit into a group? So it was the, it was slightly, di- it was although it was similar people from the school. Everyone went there, and it was you could kind of be who you wanted to be if that makes sense it was it was a totally fresh start there was no carryovers from from school so if you were uh, you'd be with people that i mean they're not people that would be picking on you at school but people who would not necessarily be sticking up for you at school but but you'd then go to scouts and and it was just a total escape from from other friendship groups that you were in you could just be it was you'd have people from various friendship groups that, that if you'd seen them at school they'd be totally other ends of the playground or the courtyard or whatever but as soon as you got them into this different environment with kind of the, the shared common interest of the outdoors is you, you kind of had these different people kind of pulling together that just didn't have an opportunity outside of that because of I guess the, the judgment or the the difficulties of breaking out of that mold of your of your social group at school where 
a young age that is I guess quite vital for for shaping who you are and and no one wants to take that leap to go and talk to the kid who's crying his eyes out yeah fair enough I think that's uh something that we're all subjected to throughout any culture and um it's vital to have those outlets you know that you found with the boy scouts because if not you know you see the kids nowadays walking into a school with a fucking loaded gun in america yeah they light the place up yeah and it's 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 horrendous to hear about those things it's thank christ the uk doesn't have guns but it's it's something that a very similar thing could happen and it's it's something that i'm sure if if isn't managed correctly, lots of people would be in that kind of real frame of mind, and and it's it's horrendous to hear, and it's it's I'm I'm very fortunate that I found an outlet in in scouting, and then and then later on the outlet in in caving. Yeah, I mean it really is when you think about it, because you were able to perpetuate it with the caving, where for a lot of people, even though they might find it, you know, once that group you know disbands or breaks up, they're kind of just lost again, floating in a society they don't feel quite comfortable in you know and it's interesting and i want to get to this point you know as the story unnaturally folds but i mean you eventually found yourself in feng ya central vietnam where you fit in perfectly you know like or seemingly so you can correct me if i'm wrong but yeah uh, no no it's 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 but it's i'm out here with with a small collection of similar minded people but also um and i'm sure we'll get to this later a, a, a much needed regular influx of new people um, so you've got you've got people that come in and go, come and go, come and stay for a couple of weeks and go, or even people that come and stay for a couple of days and go. It's it is all people that are much needed in in such a small tight knit community. It's nice to be able to go out, have a few beers with people that you're almost never going to see again, um, and and just be whatever you want to be and 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 kind of really just just have a laugh and have fun and 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 but just get. A different perspective on things and, and have different people to talk to rather than the same people which is a real danger in a in a small place like Fongya. yeah absolutely and yeah for sure i can relate to that you know going back to you know the, finding the boy scouts and then kind of going through school did you have aspirations to become you know the stereotypical doctor lawyer um insurance salesman i don't know like did, so i i was i was always um pretty smart when it came to maths like i said i was particularly before we moved i was incredibly good at maths and after we moved despite the fact that the work ethic dropped i was very good at maths and and so it was always going to kind of be going down that line um when i started going through college um so i don't know what the equivalent is in a rush of the world so 16 to 18 basically um i kind of had had started to set my mind on on going into finance and and, and an actuary is kind of what what I was really looking for. They made buckets of money. Um, I saw them having great lifestyles outside of work. Can you clarify work, what, what that means? What do you call it? An actuary? An, an, an actuary. So it's it's quite often mistaken with accountants, but it's slightly different. They effectively, it was once described to me as they make financial sense of the future. They basically use maths. Um, to determine um, what's going to happen in the future. Effect. It's, it's sim- similar to uh, an economist, but, but much more closely related to fields such as uh, insurance, pensions, um, all the fun stuff. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, they're, they're kind of the lifeblood of and any insurance companies will have actuaries employed who are effectively the ones that, that – 
work out using using the previous um, claims information. They'll use that to work out how much rates should be. They're the reason your car insurance is expensive. They're the reason that your life insurance rates are going down and stuff like that. Bastards, really. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So then what happened with that? I mean, with that kind of aspiration, you're obviously not doing that. So what happened? So I, um, I, I, I was, a, I'm an, I'm an unfortunate age in the UK. Um, so particularly with the, the political landscape. So whilst I was at college, I, I had aspirations of, of taking a year out between college and university. Um, I wanted to go and do some volunteering. I wanted to do a bit of work and I wanted to go and do some traveling. Um, whilst I was at college, the, uh, the political landscape changed. Um, there was a coalition government between the Lib Dems and the Conservatives and the Lib Dems who had previously sworn blind, they would not increase tuition fees. Uh, the tuition fees then tripled overnight. Um, which would mean my, my debt would effectively double or nearly triple um, over the course of a three-year degree if I was to take that gap year. So even though I was applying at the same time as other people, it was actually the date of starting that mattered. So if I'd taken that gap year that I, was, I kind of really wanted to do, um, I'd have then heavily in, increased the amount of debt I was leaving with. And, and I made what I thought was a, a sensible decision, which was... To, to write off the gap year and go straight into university and it didn't necessarily go so well for me because so why like what happened uh it's just kind of a lazy bastard um oh, okay. so, my, so my, my my work ethic had, had kind of i guess steadily decreased um over the course of the years where i'd kind of i'd scraped through i, I just kept scraping through my gcses so so what i did at 15 16 i scraped through those just from natural smarts, really. I didn't really do a huge amount of work towards it. Um, then got to college and managed to scrape through my A-levels, um, still not particularly working very hard. And I went to university and I was basically found out um, that I couldn't not work. So I was, I was going to university and I was playing football a lot. I was, I was not I was going out drinking a lot partying a lot and and kind of not really turning up to many lectures and and I, I remember I turned up to a an exam at one point towards the end of the second year um and uh one of the football teams I played for was in a final that started at the same time as the exam finished so I knew I needed to leave an hour before the exam ended so I could get to the final on time uh, so I turned up in full football kit boots and all um, with every intention of leaving an hour before the exam um, finished and, and left. And, and I was walking down to the pitch and I just thought, why are you doing this? Why is this just, I, I, th I think part of the problem is, is that I'd had it kind of drilled into me by, by school and, and college that if you don't go to university, you won't get a good job. If you don't go to university, you won't get a good job. And it was, it was kind of really drilled in that to access that kind of higher tier of job you, you needed a university degree and, and, and because of that you get huge amounts of pressure on on GCSEs and A-levels and, and it's, it's, it's an ongoing problem and, and you have enormous amounts of pressure being put on young people nowadays um, to go down a path that they probably don't want to or need to go down. Um, 
That's cool. I want to touch upon that real quick before I sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's something that's a hot topic these days. A lot of a lot of stuff online about you know these kids going in tremendous amounts of debt for what, you know. And it sounds like you, with you know the hindsight that you have, you're kind of in that same boat of like, you know, why would you put yourself in that kind of debt for an opportunity that's really not an opportunity? Is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? A hundred percent. So so I. I in my role in scouting I'm obviously talking to quite a lot of young people and it and it's it's one thing I really try and drill in is is look there's it's not having a degree isn't the be all and end all if 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 you want to go and be a mechanic and you want to go and do a a, a BTEC or a, an apprenticeship in being a mechanic then then go and do it there's, there's there is no reason in uh, to put yourself through that much debt if it's not going to be university isn't for everyone um I, th- I think it's part of the problem of the job market now, especially in the UK. I don't know how it works anywhere else. Um, that everyone is starting to get degrees, so every job, even ones that don't require it, has a requirement to have a degree. So more people are going to get degrees. So you've got a market flooded with a job market flooded with people with degrees um, for not enough roles so you're ending up with with just ridiculous jobs that don't need it requiring a degree just because they can get people with a degree so you've then got more people being forced into getting degrees so they can get jobs serving coffee places um and it's it's a steadily kind of worsening spiral that that needs to kind of be stopped at some point and it's um it, it's not an issue you kind of I, I think well I don't necessarily hear being talked about much is is people being effectively forced into getting huge amounts of debt in order to to try and get a job that probably isn't there for them anyway um, that they won't be happy doing they won't enjoy doing it. and it's it's quite easy for me to talk about I'm I'm very fortunate so I I, I went to university for two years um, I dropped I, I say I dropped out I failed. Um, I could have gone back and, and retaken exams, but I probably would have failed again. Um, and I was very fortunate that, that my parents were in a situation where they could really support me through that and, and effectively bailed me out of a huge amount of the debt. And uh, the requirement effectively from them was if, if you drop out, you go and get a job. And, and if you're living here, you pay us a third of your income as rent um, in respect of what I was earning. So it was always a, thir- a third of my salary went straight to them um, and they said it's it's effectively to get you set up if you ever end up well when you move out that's that's probably how much at least of your salary will be going out on on outgoing so so you need to get used to that now and um as far i i i'm very very fortunate that i was supported by them and it's it's very uh, it's difficult but but too easy for me to say um just do what you want just do what you love and stuff like that but it's people don't have not all people have that support network in order to be able to do that and um you've go back 20 30 40 years there was more of a support network there was more of a support network from the government um for you to be able to take risks like that and and things like that have disappeared and and it's now very very difficult for people to do it you've got wages stagnating you've got cost of living increases houses are not something I'm going to be able to think about for a long time in the UK is um, uh, things are getting more expensive and, and there isn't that support network. There's no, 
social housing aspect really in the UK. So you, or there isn't as much of a social housing aspect in the UK. So it's very, very difficult for young people who are building up huge amounts of debt in order to to get places that they're probably not going to be able to get to. Um, and then there's that not, not that safety net effectively to help catch them. Yeah, totally. You know, were your parents always kind of on board with your life decisions? I would imagine they might have been a little disappointed when you decided to drop out, but it also sounds like they supported your decision enough to, to teach you a life lesson and say, like, that's fine, uh, give us a third of your income just to teach you a lesson. Yeah, I, effectively, yeah. I mean, they, they, they've kind of always said, just, just do what you want. I, my, my older sister is uh, almost the polar opposite of me. She's, she's very smart, and this is going to sound harsh, but she's not as naturally smart as I always was. But she has just this incredible work ethic um, that that meant she is now absolutely smashing it, living in London, has a house in London, works as a fantastic relationship with her boyfriend. And, and they both live and work in, in London and, and are making loads of money and having fantastic holidays. But I just never really or haven't for a long time had that work ethic to force myself down that line. Um, but they've always been very supportive of my parents, that is have been very supportive of, of both of us. And, and I do feel incredibly fortunate that, that they have been. Um, I actually, after one of my exams, um, at the end of second year, I, I called my mum up and I said, um, as a heads up, I've, I've failed this year. Um, so I probably won't be coming back to university this year. And, and she said, oh, no, no, you always say this and you've always passed and stuff like this. I was like, no, 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 as a, as a heads up. I've, I've definitely failed and I'd, I'd not even I don't think I'd even answered enough questions to be able to pass even if I'd answered every question 100% right um, so I, I was certain that I wasn't passing and, and the results came through and there was obviously that initial disappointment but I, I, I kind of just said I, I, I managed your expectations I told you this would happen um, and then she said okay we'll go, go and get a job and, and, and luckily I had that fallback option that they could help me out and and i was fortunate that i ended up in in a job in the uk as kind of the the next stage um that my my godmother um managed to uh get me in in for um so my parents both work in the same industry in the uk or both worked in the same industry they, they, they always worked in the same industry um which is insurance it's a group insurance. So I still ended up going down that finance route, which was weird, um, just without the degree. So it, it's kind of part of the reason I say you don't necessarily need the degree. And and, and the job I was doing, it, it didn't require a degree. You, you, there was people with no disrespect to some of the people I was working with. You could have stuck a monkey there and they could have done the same thing. Um, it, it's, it's a very much overstated thing is needing a degree for, for that job. Um, but again, very fortunate, and I'll, I'll give her a shout out. It was Roma, my, my godmother. I, I, I would not have had that job if it wasn't for her. Um, and then she stuck by me for a, for a, the few years that I was at at that job, and she really kind of helped me out whilst I was there. Did um, I mean you're a young man? You're 25 years old, so you went, you did the uni thing for a minute. You jumped back into insurance, like. I don't hear much about you spreading your wings out in the world and like going traveling and like discovering caves in other countries. Like, <laughs> you know, how, how are you in the middle of Vietnam right now, dude? It's, it, it is a, it's a strange way that I've ended up out. So, so I, I wanted to go traveling when I was at college. It didn't happen because of the, the whole uni fees thing. Um, 
worked for a couple of years in the industry, I, I became more and more uh, disillusioned with the company I was at. They, they, to some extent, supported me very well. Some people within the company supported me very well, but I always felt like I was more capable than the job role I was in. Um, call it arrogance or cockiness, it's probably both. Um, I always felt I was more capable than the job I was doing. Um, and, and and I had various other things going on in my life. So I, I, um, I was suffering with depression um, at that time. And, and, well, I say at that time, still effectively now, um, suffering with depression. And there was a couple of other things that were going on. And uh, it's, it's actually a fantastic, I say fantastic, it's a weird way of saying it, but I, I'd never kind of clocked that I was depressed. I had these these kind of mood swings and I wasn't, always a hundred percent I'd have I'd have times where I just didn't want to do anything um and 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 I would turn up to work and I'd just sit there staring at the screen I couldn't I couldn't quite work out why um and and one day one of my colleagues brought in uh, a picture book um and it was it was called I think it's called The Black Dog um and it's a fantastic book and and anyone who wants to understand who who just can't get their head around what depression is it's not feeling sad all the time it's not it's not wanting to jump off the nearest bridge. It's the the book, The Black Dog, and I think there's an audio book version or something on YouTube. It's fantastic, and it's it's all about the fact that they're just lurking in the background. There's this black dog um, that just hangs around you, and it can make you miserable for no reason. Um, and and so I had this black dog, and and, and it was just there, just lurking. Um, and there there was various other reasons why it may have been there or, or lurking about. Um, but but I, I was unhappy for whatever reason, and I needed a change. Um, around, it was actually around the two-year mark. So I was listening to your podcast with Multi. Um, no idea what number one it was, but um, yeah. And he and he said he had his this this two-year attention span. And and my parents have said to me for years, you've got a two-year attention span. So I had uh, obviously more recently, I had this first job I had for two years. University I was at for two years various hobbies that I would pick up for two years and then just give up and so I'd have various things or just things for hobbies and stuff around the house where I'd done things for two years and and just got bored of it um so I freely related to that bit with multi and and I had this job for two years and and I kind of I think it might have just been the time my time at that company and I'd kind of had enough um so what happened? What was the breaking point? Did you like walk into your boss's office and tell him to fuck off? <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of wish I had, but I actually I got headhunted by another company within the industry. Um, and I'd had a few bits of contact from recruiters and stuff like that. Um, and I'd not um, – I'd kind of entertained them, but not really. I was, I was still kind of in the mindset that the company I was at was going to support me and push me through and – and there was an incident that basically proved they couldn't have given a monkey shit about me. Um, and, and so I got this, this uh, invitation to an interview through. And, and I did a bit of research, found out about the company. And it was just down the road from where I lived. So my commute would be shorter. Uh, the pay was almost certainly going to be higher. Um, and, and it sounded like that they, they were looking for someone who was really wanting to get on. So, so I went to this, univ- this interview um and and just got on really well with with my who would be my future boss and and her boss got on really well with them and and it sounded like this job was going to be a chance for me to really shape the role into what I wanted to be um so I I went home and 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 
by the time I was home, pretty much, I'd had a call from the recruiter saying they're going to offer you the job this afternoon. Um, and they, they gave me the exact amount of money I asked for. Um, so I had that offer the, uh, that afternoon and I, I typed up my notice or my resignation that evening and handed it to my boss. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I set out my three month notice period trying to, I was working quite hard during it to make sure things were all, all ticked off in the way they needed to be. I actually had, I, I was working stupid hours for days and days on end, um, kind of 13, 14 hours behind a desk um, for, for a week or so. Um, and, and I woke up one Monday morning with just an outrageous migraine and I called up work and said, oh, I can't make it. I can't even open my eyes. I can't do anything. I can't function. Um, and they're like, oh, okay, so you'll be back tomorrow. I said, oh, I might, I might be back tomorrow. Hopefully I'll be back tomorrow. And the following day, the same thing. And the following day, the same thing again. I was like, right, I've got to go to the doctors because this could be serious. So I went to the doctors and they, they basically said it, it's a migraine and it's, and they said, what, I said, what could I set it on? And we spoke a bit and they said, it's basically stress onset. So I've been kind of working my ass off for this company that um, I wasn't even going to be working for that longer, but I just wanted to make sure things were, were finalized off. And uh, I went back into the office and I spoke, so I had a return to work meeting and, and she said, oh, so, so what was the problem? Was it a headache? I said, no, it's a migraine. It's different to a headache. It was a proper migraine. I was really struggling. And uh, she said, um, okay, what, what caused it? Was it not eating? Probably was not drinking. I said, no, I said it was stress. The doctor said it's almost certainly stress. And she went, oh, why is that? I said, because I've been working my ass off for the last couple of weeks and, and really, really grinding. And, and you guys aren't giving me any kind of recognition. You're not helping me out. You're not offering to share out some workloads. You just don't care. And she went, oh, well, it's okay. You've only got six weeks left of your notice. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and I was like, you fucking dickhead. Um, pardon my language, anyone who I'm going to send this thing to. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, and it kind of just sat there and I thought, yeah, really? And so, so we're a comp well, we were a company that were advising other companies, HRs, to be as, as paternalistic as possible, to look out for their employees and, and to encourage their returns to work and stuff like that. And, and the person that's supposed to be doing this had basically turned around and told me to piss off um, or just to sit through, man up, and then piss off. Um, so I, I, I was understandably fuming. My, my work ethic dropped significantly after that. I was like, fine, I'm not doing these long days. I just don't care anymore. Um, and then I went to this other company um, and, I, and I had absolutely the, the greatest boss I've ever had and probably will have at this company, um, Lucy, who was, it was fantastic. Um, I, I think, I, I guess at the time, I, I thought that if I changed companies that that this black dog would just disappear and, and that it would just go and I'd, I'd be suddenly happy and, and, and doing what I needed to do and, and that everything would change. And, and obviously anyone who's ever suffered with anything like that will, will know that's obviously not the case. Um, so, so I went to this other company, obviously I was still having the same issues and, uh, and I had a, a girlfriend at this time. Um, and, and there was, uh, I think it's safe to say a few issues between us um that wasn't helping my general state of mind um lucy looked out for me fantastically whilst i was uh whilst i was at the this other company that i'd moved to which is also um, insurance correct like you just kind of yeah insurance, insurance yeah, effectively yeah they're, they're doing the exact same thing effectively they were our competitors um okay. they were competitors um 
but it was a slightly smaller company so it's uh, there was the potential for things to be shaped and, and for me to have real control over what i was doing um, that wasn't necessarily the case um but lucy really looked out for me I, I, I was never one for for rules or having having someone tell me what to do i know i never would have been able to go into the military um i always kind of like to have either my own little spin on things or or I guess the arrogance part of me saw that there was better ways of doing things. My way of doing things is better. And, and sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. Um, but I, I basically was getting in trouble for, for a combination of not doing enough work and for not doing work in the correct way. Um, but Lucy stood up for me no end. And, and she stood up for me really until the end of me being at this other company. Um, and, and I have, uh, huge amounts of, of gratefulness to her for um, for doing that because if it wasn't fair, I probably would have been sacked long before I ended up leaving. Um, so I was, I was only at this other company for a year. Um, so I, I, I wasn't very happy and I was arguing with, with the director of the company pretty regularly and, and, and it just wasn't, I, I wasn't in a good way in my head anyway. So obviously I was turning up to work in a not very good way and things weren't going well. Um, so I, I got home from one day, got home from work one day. I, I booked flights for, for me and my girlfriend to Bangkok, single way. Um, we'd spoken about traveling lots and wanted to do it. I was like, right, we'll go traveling. Um, and she got home and I said, right, I'll book flights. You're three and a half months time. Hand your notice in. We'll have a couple of weeks before we go getting ready, finalizing stuff and we'll go. And, uh, two weeks later we broke up. Um, so I'm left with my ticket and a spare ticket to Bangkok. Um, so yeah, so we, we, we broke up. It was probably a long time coming the breakup, uh, probably for the best L- looking back in my, in my heart of hearts. I, I think I knew that by booking the ticket, it was going to push the whole thing over the edge. If that doesn't sound much. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was, I mean, she used the word all the time and it irritated me because she kept on saying it was toxic. And, and frankly, it was. It wasn't good for either of our states of mind. I don't think we were either, either of us were 100% in ourselves and therefore we were never going to be able to be 100% with each other. Um, taking out the fact that we just, I just don't think it was really the right thing. Um, so I, I had these tickets. We broke up. I moved out. Um and over the course of the next few months, I just continued my planning um, for, for going away and, and finished off my, my notice period. In the meantime, um, I start thinking about what I'm going to do with this spare ticket. Um, and someone who my mum worked with at the time, another insurance company, um, he'd just broken up with his long-term girlfriend. They'd been together like nine years. Um and they broke up and he was he was not particularly the happiest. Um, and I basically messaged him and say, the ticket's yours if you want it. Just pay to change it to your name. It's about 50, 60 quid, something like that. And the ticket's all yours. Um, you can feel free to either travel with me or, or do your own thing. I don't really care. Just take the ticket. It sounds like you need it. Um, the money was going to go to waste for me anyway. Uh, at the very least, he could go and have a good couple of weeks in Thailand. Um and so I'd, I'd never met this guy before and he uh, turned up to the airport on the morning of the flight and, and, and I was messaging him trying to see who was looking at their phone to work out who he was at the, at the arrival or departure terminal, whatever it is. Um, 
and and I see him and, and I kind of come over and he, he basically said I can't remember the exact words but it was something like should, should we get this shit out of the way should we go and have a beer and it was like five in the morning um, and, and immediately I was thinking I'm going to get on with this guy I think it's going to go well um, so we're sitting there having a beer after we've gone through passport control and all that kind of nonsense you've got to do um, and uh, yeah I, I almost immediately decided that I want to go travelling with him and a guy called David um, really really nice guy um, and we end up travelling up uh, through a couple of smaller towns from Bangkok up to Chiang Mai and we go and do some jungle trekking uh, and the, the guys that we go and do this trekking with um, they say, so, so how long have you two known each other like you know each other from school and stuff like this and we kind of had to say no we've met I think a week ago, I think eight, eight or nine days ago is when we first met. And they're like, what? And kind of told them the story. And it was, we, we just got on really, really well. And, and it was really, really good for, I think, me to have him there. I don't think my traveling would have been anywhere near what it was um, if it wasn't for, for David being there. Um, so really, really grateful to him. So if, if you're listening, David, cheers, mate. <laughs> Where um, is he now? Where did he go? What happened? So, so he ended up going back to work after his couple of weeks. Um, and I'd, I'd kind of been saying to him, oh, just call up work and tell him to fuck off and just stay out here and we'll go do some more traveling. He was like, no, no, I've got to go back. And he basically went back to work, lasted a couple of months, um, handed his notice in. And uh, in the meantime, I'd, I'd uh, started a relationship with one of the girls from his office, a really nice girl from his office. Um, and then they went traveling across America. Uh, so we packed in work. Um, he'd managed to pack it in in a way that when he went back to work, I think he was, because they'd realised there was all these projects that he was just so key to, they kind of hired him back for, for loads more money for fewer days' work or something. So we went back on a on a temporary contract for that before he ended up thinking about going travelling away somewhere as well. Um, he, he really did well out of that. Um, <laughs> That's right. But, yeah, re- it, it, he did really well out of it. But he was... a. Uh, really really vital i think to to me ending up where i am now because it was through the traveling that i ended up in fong yeah um sorry i'm going quite slow about this if you want me to just start skipping shit out i can no dude, uh, it's, it's wonderful to hear i mean there's a lot of things i want to kind of circle back to and talk about because i think a lot of the audience can relate to i uh, definitely you know the how you described your feeling at your job you know the stress or the being feeling unappreciated number one leading to more stress leading to depression whether it was underlying prior to getting to your job or not like I think these are things a lot of people feel and and then hearing like how you kind of dealt with it and and the outcome of it which is now you being in feng ya for 18 months you know you're a full-time caver you're basically a professional caver getting paid to do what you love like it's kind of that like hero story of like do this guy he made it out of the rat race you know and i mean how do you feel about that is that kind of right because you also alluded to there's still a little bit of depression lingering and I'm like, yeah so it's my, it's my, my question real quick was just like has Feng Ya not kind of treated you for your stress and depression? <laughs> well, I, it's, yeah, it's something. And, and, and I wrote down a phrase to someone. Someone was saying, uh, I'm on a lot of online kind of travel forums and stuff like that. And someone said, I'm really depressed. Should I go traveling? And, and the phrase I said was, um, I mentioned about the, the, the Black Dog book, because I think anyone who's, who's even just feeling like they might be depressed should read this book. Um, it is, it's, it's a two-minute book, but it's fantastic. Um, and I said... Um, traveling won't get rid of the black dog. I don't think anything can get rid of the black dog, but traveling can take you away from the triggers that feed him. Um, it's it, the, the black dog won't go. You, you can't get rid of the black dog. 
Um, you can load someone up with drugs, you can send them traveling all around the world, but it's still going to be there. There's still a chance that something's going to trigger it. Um, all you can do is, is try and keep yourself as, as removed from those triggers as possible. As, and, and sometimes there aren't even triggers. So sometimes I'm out here and I can just sit and think, oh, God, I'm just, oh, what the fuck am I doing type thing? Well, what's going on? And, and, and you just feel just that lull. Um, it, it's not something that will go away. And, and, and you, you hear a lot of people who say, I went traveling and I'm cured and now I'm happy and, and now I, I'm going to take on the world. And, and I don't want anyone to be under any false pretenses that traveling will do that for you. I think tra- traveling was fantastic for me, but it's one thing it, it didn't do and one thing it won't ever do for, for anyone is, is cure depression. Um, but it can take you out of that rut of being stuck um, with trigger after trigger that just send you into this, into this downward spiral. Um, and possibly give you tools to, yeah, uh, identify those triggers and have a healthier way to deal with them when you do face them. Because I hear what you're saying, like for a lot of people out there, there is maybe a chemical imbalance or something in them that either isn't acknowledged or whatever that is going to kind of remain with them forever. However, you know, like you just pointed out, like you can avoid the triggers and then it gives you that kind of extra space to reflect on exactly. your life and, and identify with the triggers that you can then avoid or deal with when they do come about. Because what, what happens when you're in, uh, an, I guess, an intense situation of, of, of office work and, and having a shit relationship at the same time is, is, is that you don't have any breathing space. So either way, you're having triggers that are setting you off when you're at work and you go home where you just want space and then you've got more triggers so that you think, oh, I'll get some sleep and then you can't sleep. So you're tired and then you go to work and you're tired and you're still angry and depressed from the previous day and you're getting more triggers and it sets you off and sets you off. What traveling allows you to do is, is really remove yourself from as many of those triggers as possible. And like you say, identify them, work out what it is that gets to you, um, work out what's really feeding that black dog and, and get you away from him. It's funny, actually. It's not funny. I don't mean to use that term, but you, know, you, you enjoy going to dark places. You know? like, and but it's it's something that feeds your soul. I think in a healthy way. It's not something yeah. that I think sends you spiraling out of control into this, you know, and or let feeds the black dog. Yes, yeah, so I, I find it very very therapeutic. Is is being underground? It's 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 me time. It's time for me to to reflect on what's going on with me and 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 how I deal with things. And yes, you could end up overthinking, but, but it gives you a time to do something, um, physical and active. So I've always, I've always needed to do physical and active things. It's why I think an office job is something I never should have even tried. Um, it, it gets, it gets me doing things physically. It gives me time to both be with myself, but in the role I have also deal with customers and other people as well that I need. I've, I've got a, a strange set of personality traits where I both hate people, um, but I'm also a, uh, uh, an what's the word? An extrovert. There we go. I was about to say X something extrovert. So, so I, I get my energy from other people. I just in general hate them all. Um, mm-hmm. so it's, it, it's kind of a difficult state where I both need to be near people, but a lot of the time don't want to be near them. So it's, I, I'm kind of stuffed from that perspective, but it's, having this job really kind of has a nice balance between the two. You know, I can really relate with that, you know, being, uh, having lived in Nicaragua running surf tourism, it's, which is similar to caving just in the touristic aspect of running tours. 
Um, and for me, I'm an introvert. I, I need tons of time alone, but I also like to socialize. So I could, I could scroll myself away in this small village in my house for, you know, eight hours a day. And then I always had the option because I basically lived at a hostel to like walk out to the bar and be as social as I wanted for like two hours a night. And for me, that was the perfect balance. Like I felt like that was what I loved about my environment. Yeah. And it's, it's, everyone needs that balance and, and, when you've got other issues going on in the background that not having that balance kind of gets exacerbated and you end up f- feeling a lot worse because of it. And when you, when you kind of regain that control over what you're doing, um, which, which traveling really kind of enabled me to do, especially solo traveling really enabled me to have control over my life again. Um, which was, was so key to me ending up being who I am now, I guess, um, was that regaining of control. So it sounds like you feel that you've become a different person from your old self just because of this experience or something has shifted within you? Yeah, to, to some extent. I mean, I mean, there's still times uh, when I'll, I'll, I'll react in ways and I'll think, oh, Jesus, that was, that was old me. That was, that was old school me. That was me flying off the cuff and, and not really thinking about things and not relaxing. And, and that I've, I think I've now picked up that that's at some, that, that's one of my giveaways that there's been a trigger that, that, that something started to trigger that black dog is when I, when I start having very short temper or, or fuse or patience with things um, is that something's triggered me and, and, and I'm about to enter a, a, a down stage. Um, so so it, 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 I, by having this time away, I've been able to identify those because it wasn't a continuous one negative thing after another effectively i've 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 been able to identify at what point these peaks and troughs are happening and 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 because of that i can then counteract them yeah no beautifully said yeah i mean because yeah you've you've been essentially away from the uk for what 18 months is that approximately right yes well it's about two years now so okay. so i first went traveling um with david uh and then david went home and and i was sitting in a hostel in in Pi called a uh, happy house. Um, but I'd, I was obviously not entirely used to the solo traveling aspect of things. Um, my only traveling I'd done really was, was either with my parents on family holidays or, or with David. So David left, I was on my own and I was sitting out at the back of a hostel. I'd gone to the shop and I was like, oh, I'll just have a, I've got a can of pop or sorry, a can of Coke or something. Um, and a bag of a bag of candy or Harry Bow sweets um and a bag of crisps and I was just sitting there I thought I'll just eat these and I'll go to bed and and in the hostel it seemed like everyone was in one big group and it was kind of like oh, I've, I've kind of don't want to walk in and kind of be involved and and a couple of Kiwi guys came out and they said what the fuck are you doing out here on your own come and have a beer with us and have a game of pool um and that was uh, Mike and Phil Mike Yockney who uh, lives in Cambodia and Phil Jones who I've got no idea where he is now um, but the pair of them were, were absolutely fantastic to me. They, they said, just come in. Um, and and the, the fantastic thing about that hostel at the time, I don't know if it is still now, is they didn't allow groups of more than three to book. Um, so they had the settings on all their websites that you couldn't have groups of more than three, um, which meant that everyone kind of came with that solo or small group aspect. So everyone was open to to basically doing what Phil and Mike did with me, which is just pull me inside and say, why you sit on your own? We were in the same situation. Come and come and enjoy yourself. And that was, that was kind of my first 
experience of solo traveling and and the beauty of it is that you can you can see someone sitting on your own you can say come and have a beer come and come and enjoy yourself and 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 that was kind of a real transformation moment again was 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 those guys uh, I, I think if they hadn't done that i don't think i'd have lasted anywhere near as long traveling as i did um so i kind of traveled for, for three three and a half months at that point um so this is kind of from april till august ish in 2017 um to try and put some perspective on it um just traveling around southeast asia and then a week in spain on a caving expedition where i met up with some old friends um but yeah just that real transformation moment of, of kind of saying come on what you're doing get get back to it come on come and come and enjoy yourself um so it's super grateful to those two guys. Yeah, you gotta love just travelers, travelers mentality, and, and big shout out just to Kiwi culture because Kiwis yeah. are the <laughs> nicest people in the world. Definitely. Um, can we just clarify on like how you wound up in Fongya as a caver working for Exalus? So, so I I was traveling through uh, to Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, and into Vietnam, and I'd been traveling with this really cute Aussie chick. Um, and we've been traveling for a couple of weeks in Cambodia. I then disappeared off to Vietnam. I wasn't particularly the happiest I could have been, um, having just left this awesome chick and, and ended up getting to Hoi An. And I still wasn't particularly happy with Vietnam. Um, and I thought, I'm going to book myself that's something that's going to make me take me back to my happy place. So I'm going to book some caving in Phong Nha. Um, so I, I, I messaged or I, I booked a tour in, in Phong Nha. Uh, I came and did the tour and it, it kind of, re-sparked me back into life if that makes sense um i got chatting away to my now boss um who affected i I managed to kind of sell myself the job really i'd heard they hired westerners um and and he said would you be interested in coming to work for us next year and i said 100 percent yes i can't say no um we'd obviously spoken about my caving experience and and some of the cave leading that i'd done and and that was obviously enough to um instill faith in me being able to do the job and then, yeah, January 20 or December 2017, I, I flew out to, to Vietnam to come and work here. That's really cool, man. That's a cool story. And it just goes to show, like, you you got to kind of put yourself out there, talk talk yourself up a bit, if you will. You know, tell people what you're capable of doing. Because I had my therapist tell me this once. She's like, Chapin, how is anyone ever going to get to know you unless you talk about yourself? Yeah. Like, oh, that's kind of a good point. Because I was always kind of the guy like, oh, I don't want to talk about myself. I'd rather sit on the wall and watch everybody, you know? Yeah, I I think that was one of the things that I I kind of wanted to definitely make sure got across here is that, um, or one of the reasons that I kind of contacted you and said, I'd I'd love to do a do a podcast, and it was, it's having that, the the bollocks almost, and uh, but I wouldn't have been able to do that, I don't think, if it hadn't been for, for the, I guess the all the previous people I've name dropped so far, so it's it's uh, my parents and my sister looking out for me, and and a support network that I had at home of various other people and, and these people that looked after me whilst I was traveling that all kind of led up to that moment of me having the bollocks to to really sell myself and, and to say look I've done this I've done that I've, and I said I've got nothing to be at home for in the UK I've got no wife no kids no family no no car no nothing and and, and I'm really I've, I'm open-ended in what I'm doing and, and that kind of question came of would do you want to come and work for us and and, and I said yes, and, and, and it kind of worked out that way. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, do you think much about the future? Is that something? Are you kind of living in the present moment? Do you have an idea, like, where the next 10 years is going to be for you? 
So, so I, I have this this kind of elongated plan. Um, so, so back in the UK, I, I wasn't particularly happy. I was looking at, at other possible avenues I could go down, and and I knew I, I've always been happy in the outdoors. I've always been happier doing things than 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 not, if that makes sense. So, so, so outside and getting the fresh air, seeing things, um, and it led me to kind of the outdoor education industry, so, so or outdoor pursuits industry probably a better description um and and a, a good friend of mine dave his his wife worked at a um outdoor center up in the lake district called the bendrick the bendrick trust it's a fantastic kind of charitable um outdoor pursuits uh, residential center effectively um and they, and they take people who are who are physically disabled learning disabled um young old whoever and, and they take these people out on adventures that they effectively have been told or, or it's been implied over the course of their lifetime that they can't do that you can't rock climb you've got cerebral palsy you can't you can't go swimming you've got no arms and legs that that kind of thing and 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 yes it, it's not hardcore adventure it's not finding new cave passage in places but it is absolutely one of the most rewarding things I've, I've ever done so I've, I've volunteered there and I've volunteered there four times now I think and I'm volunteering there again later this year and it's a, a huge shout out to them and the work they do the people they work there is fantastic um are fantastic and 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 I would love to um I would love to go and work there one day um I I the the, the real defining moment is when I was volunteering there the first time and, and I was kind of still in the unsure stage of what I wanted to do, I knew I was going to go traveling, but I didn't know where that was going to lead to. Um, but I was there volunteering and there was, I think, seven disabled people, six carers, um, a couple of instructors or, or tutors, as they call them, myself and another another volunteer. And, and I looked around and everyone just had the biggest grins on their faces. And, and I can't remember a time where I've ever been in a job where, everyone customers and employees have all been that happy um and i just looked around and thought this is what i want to do this this is what this is what will reward me this is what will feed me this is what will keep me going and and, and i could happily get up on a miserable monday morning to go for a walk with people if they were going to be this happy um i'd have no problem with that whatsoever and and so that's that's really my long-term goal is 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 to end up there and and, and having that kind of rewarding level of, of job satisfaction yeah wow that's such a beautiful story man and such a like cool discovery you made you know sometimes you have to go out you know out of your comfort zone or just out into the world to really discover yourself and what you want out of life you know put yourself out there and and be uncomfortable for a little while so that's fucking rad dude congratulations thank you you know with with everything you've gone through over the last years you know the ups the downs the all-arounds taking yourself out there finding this cool job in Fungia, but now knowing that you know your heart really lies probably back in england working for this is it a charity the benedict trust yes yeah, so it is yeah it's cha charitable um uh so yeah i wonder it's it's i can send you a link if, if you if you could put a link to to the bendrick trust in, in the podcast notes, that'd be fantastic 100%. that'll definitely um, go on the show notes but my my final question for you my friend is you know if talking to somebody out there who hears your story and relates to it and wants to venture out into the world or do whatever is really driving them but they just don't really have the guts yet what would you say to them um baby steps try and take baby steps do do little things that are gonna so, so if if you're 
if you're finding you're stuck in a rut, you don't have to book to come to the other side of the world. I think I took it to a drastic extent and, and yes, it's been fantastic and changed my life, but it could have been way the other way. And I know that doing what I did and doing what I do isn't going to be for everyone, but you can take baby steps. You can go for a, a weekend holiday to somewhere. If you're in Europe, somewhere in Europe, there's cheap flight between places in Europe. If you're in America, go to another city. If you're just take a little baby holiday, just take yourself away from the constraints of other people telling you what to do. Um, and, and you find a freedom that you, you can't really find when you've got that daily grind. And if someone's stuck in a rut, they probably already know that, but just baby steps. It's, it's very difficult to build yourself up to, to, unless something really pushes you over the edge and you do tell your boss to get fucked. Um, it's very difficult to build up that the bollocks to, to do something as big as just quitting and, and leaving to nothing. But if you book a week off and just go and travel around a couple of cities by yourself, you find that freedom of being by yourself and it can encourage you to do more. That's so rad, dude. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome, Josh. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing the fact that, you know, you do have this thing in you, this little black dog that creeps up at times and that, you know, this book, Living with a Black Dog, His Name is Depression, is something that really helped you through these moments and helped you identify them. What are the triggers, how to work through them and come out on the other side a little bit happier and not sinking so deep in some of these dark holes. I think it's wonderful that you've taken yourself out of the system in which was probably causing a lot of that depression and putting yourself in a system like Vietnam in the middle of Phong Nha, you know, climbing through caves, which is your passion and brings you that satisfaction and helps you relax and stay focused and keep you present and not thinking about the past where you might've had, been bullied or depressed or unhappy in the life situation that you found yourself in. So hats off to you. It's super dope that you did that. And for any of the listeners out there, you can click in the show notes. I've added that link to find that book. If you do suffer from depression, I realize it's a real thing. I have had it myself when I was very young. Um, luckily, I had a wonderful therapist who helped me work through that. But I get it. You know, A lot of people out there don't have those resources to go to talk to someone once a week. So you know, this, this book, I've looked it up. It seems like a wonderful place to start if you do suffer from depression. So please check it out. And again, thank you, Josh, for taking the time. We love and appreciate you for just being so open and honest. Remember, if you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button. If you like this episode, you know, five-star rating would mean the world to me. And I just, I love having you. We, meet, we reached a milestone, you know, in the last month or two. We are now at over 10,000 unique downloads a month for misfits and rejects that's a huge accomplishment for me i've been at this for like the last three and a half years and i love doing this every week for you but for a podcaster it's a milestone for sure that ten thousand marker is something that we're all striving for and for me to finally get there just feels so wonderful and just goes to show you know just showing up consistently trying to deliver something that i really believe in that i love that i think really does good for the listeners out there is something that, you know, with time does pay off. And I thank you again for just coming out every week and supporting me and listening. And I hope you're getting as much out of this as I am. 
So please remember, I think you all are so very, very beautiful. If you are getting something out of this, you know, take that first step. Go after that thing that you've always wanted. There is obviously a lot of fear involved for a lot of us before we take that first step, but taking that first step is so important to really getting that life that you've always dreamed of. So I encourage you to do it like uh, Josh says, you know, baby steps. Take baby steps if you're not fully comfortable with just walking into that boss's office and quitting. You know, take that little trip to the neighboring village or or to the next state over, or whatever you feel comfortable with. You don't have to just buy a one-way ticket, quit your job, and then you know hope for the best. There are ways to do this, and there's a lot of episodes throughout this 140 episodes that I've already captured that give a lot of great advice. So thank you again for joining me. Thank you all are so very beautiful. Much love. I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to... Choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.